Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of A Rock and a Hard Place. I'm your host, Thomas Hale. This week I'm joined by Steve Levine, editor of The Electric, a publication on batteries and electric vehicles owned by The Information. Steve is a senior fellow with the Atlantic Council's Foresight, Strategy, and Risk Initiative and an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. Previously, Steve was a foreign correspondent for 18 years in the former Soviet Union, Pakistan, and the Philippines, running a bureau for the Wall Street Journal, and before that, writing for the New York Times, the Financial Times, and Newsweek. Steve's third book is The Powerhouse, America, China, and the Great Battery War, which was long listed for the F.T. McKinsey Book Prize in 2015. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Looking forward to our discussion. Hey, Thomas. All right. So I always like to start our podcast by learning a little bit more about my guests and how they became involved in the world of minerals or mineral-related issues. So you have a really diverse background in history there. So maybe you could tell me a little bit more about your journey into the world of batteries and electric vehicles. Yeah, th- thanks for that. I, I do not have a straightforward line. Uh, it's, not, it's not linear. So I had this long journalism career and a recent chapter of it was in the former Soviet Union. I was based on the Caspian Sea and for the last few years of that, the biggest story was a, uh, a big contest, a geopolitical contest and a commercial contest for who was going to control the oil on that sea. And it's, it's, a, it's one of the largest new deposits on the planet. And Russia, of course, it being right next to Russia, it wanted to control this. But the United States stepped in after the collapse of the former Soviet Union and the American oil companies wanted to have access uh, to this oil. We're talking about Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan. That put in my brain the idea of energy and geopolitics. In this case, it was oil and geopolitics. And it, and it was what power and what influence emanates from who, who's got the oil and what, what power do you or wealth do you not have if you're on the other side you're 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 at the mercy of those who who have that power when when i came back to the united states and the financial crash happened you you may know that one of the very biggest um economic prizes that was identified at that time something that countries that had lost everything in the financial crash could glom onto a new industry new wealth, something real, right? Not, not financial instruments. It was electric cars. It was batteries. And that, and that was China identifying these as industries, uh, technologies of the, of the future and the United States and a bunch of other countries around the world. And, 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 and it occurred to me that what we had was if you substitute batteries for oil, you had the geopolitics of batteries. And that, that really appealed to me as a, as a, a theme and, and as something going forward was going to be a, a new like, equivalent to the Caspian Sea. And so that, that is the journey. And I, I don't think anyone at that time you know, recognized that minerals were going to end up being minerals themselves. The NMC, the nickel, the manganese and cobalt were going to end up themselves being geopolitical actors. And uh, it, it, people just thought of the batteries and could you get the cost down? And uh, But in like over the last two, three years, it's become clear that, you know, chi- China, um, you know, understood this 
very quickly and uh, started vacuuming up the rights to uh, you know to these minerals and then plus graphite and lithium around the world and the capacity for processing those minerals. That's a, a very strategic move. Everyone should have understood from hi history that that the that the raw materials of of the technology end up being geopolitical features and those who did understand history are in a very good position today. Oh yeah, it's really interesting if you always ask like a geologist or a mineralogist they'll say over the years they saw an ebb and flow of uh <laughs> of interest in minerals and here we are again but i do think that minerals are going to be here for a long time as a geopolitical issue uh to kind of discuss so your publication the electric is, is a really fantastic source for information for those that want to learn more about battery technology energy vehicles and this energy security issue so what led to the creation of the electric so this was you know very much an opportunistic uh thing basically you had china and you had tesla focused on the on, on on the issues that we're talking about today. In September 2020, Elon Musk held an uh, event battery day and uh, and and no one had ever held a big public event had presumed that there would be any interest. You know, Steve Jobs held these events for the iPod and and the iPhone and of course, you know, people do have interest in these gadgets. Who on earth would watch a deep dive into batteries? But it turned into a uh, like a you know a Woodstock or something of of batteries, and it triggered a mania. Right? It suddenly you know it was one of those moments, and 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 it was one of those moments in journalism too. And at at that time, I was uh, a, a a magazine reporter for Medium, writing on all those topics. I just mentioned Ev Williams, the, the co-founder of Twitter, was my boss at that time. He, he owns Medium and, and sort of declared, we're going to have a blog on batteries, on batteries and EVs. Steve is going to write it and it's going to start in two weeks. It, it was just, uh, that's, that's how that happened. And that, that publication was called The Mobilist. And so suddenly I was just pulled in, pulled back into this uh, world. And I had a conversation with the information and I said, you know, do you want to start, you know, a subscription publication that, that, that delivers this, just this kind of, you know, uh, nerdy approach to, you know, to this uh, space. And they said, yes, uh, we named it the electric. Uh, it started seven, seven, eight months ago, last July. Maybe you could speak more about how that publication specifically informs decision making and maybe public awareness on these energy topics. One big thing is is we're trying to cut through the noise that's out there. I'm I'm, I'm attempting not to to get pulled to one side or the other by by hype and by um, gee whiz. There's a there there there's a a um, you know a dynamic in technology. Where people get, you know, uh, get very, very entranced or seduced by a, sh you know, the new shiny object. What's really going on here? What, what, you know, what's really going to happen? I'll start, you know, with what are the atoms doing, you know, and 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 and, and I describe them like an action movie, 
right? Like, I mean, the, the battery, it has actors in it. You know, the, the, the lithium is, is moving from one side to the, the other. And, and, you know, and what, you know, what is it doing when it gets there? And, and so on. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, and it, if you write it that way, and it, if you if you don't assume that the reader knows anything and start from zero, people really want to know this stuff. They do, but they just think that they won't get it, so they kind of you know shy away from it. But you know, if you explain in a simple way and explain fully, people will 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 get it. How can this inform decision makers? You know, I I, I think that I'm giving decision makers a point of view every week that they ought to listen to and why they should listen to that. No, and I think it's it's something that people can really appreciate too about cutting through the noise, as you say, because it's out there. And I feel like in commodities and just mining and these technologies, it's very blatantly out there. There's all these different things coming up. And when I talk to people about these issues, they always bring up, well, what about this and that? And there's this technology. And I'm like, sometimes there's a lot of noise out there. So having these articles or publications that can cut through that's really critical. And I do like what you say there about um, science communication, right? How do you communicate these issues that are emerging issues for our country or not really emerging, right? They're here. They're on our doorstep today, but that's such a critical thing that I think has been missing for such a long time. So it's great to see that because I think we need publications like this to actually address these problems and have an informed uh, decision-making base because a lot of the times, like you say, there's just so much out there. So maybe you could, talking about things that are out there, could you tell our guest a little bit more about current trends that you see in kind of battery technology, kind of cutting through that noise, as you say, and where you see some of the biggest challenges and opportunities in this space, uh, especially related to meeting the adoption goals and the materials needed? You hear about, oh, we're going to have the adoption of these mini EVs, but you need certain materials. So maybe what are some of the obstacles and, and opportunities there to actually achieving that? The annual number of EVs that are forecast to be sold in 2030 is 40 million. And um, that's a lot of nickel <laughs> and manganese and cobalt and lithium. And the, the mines that are required to produce that number do not exist today. And so one country on the planet has got all that stuff, and that's China. Everyone else doesn't. And, uh, and, and so like that number is not going to be produced. So like the first thing you should know is that the forecast number will not be produced and it won't be produced because there aren't the minerals. And, and, and so like, so a, a fact of today is that our decision makers need to move very quickly to, um, to, uh, identify and, um, and start get you know getting the licenses and the permits and the so that you know we do end up with the minerals uh so um that's a super big challenge so there's this presumption the battery companies car companies have as a group locked themselves into the presumption that nickel lead batteries are going to be the vast majority of the cathodes for these 40 million EVs that'll be sold by the end of the year. But this year we've seen in the uh, Russian war in Ukraine and the, the outcome so far of, of that, that our, our supplies of nickels are a lot less 
certain and a lot less reliable than we thought before February 24th, before the invasion of Ukraine. And, and the, the, the nickel supply, how many nickel mines we need, uh, and, and, and then the, the new value that's placed on environmentally and, and, uh, and socially well-produced minerals and metals, all the new supply right now is coming from Indonesia. The energy intensity is, is much higher than the ESG folks want to see. And the reality is, whatever you think about that, the regulations in Europe won't allow that. Regardless of what plans have been made, that the battery makers and the car makers are going to be forced to do something. So there are clear challenges with supply chains that need to be worked out for us to really make battery development and electrification sustainable. But then there's also the question of making sure these mineral resources that go into these batteries are used as efficiently as possible. So what are your thoughts on the progress being made in that area? And so I, I went to a, a, a battery conference and the, the most famous, the most respected battery scientist in the world right now is Jeff Don, D-A-H-N. And he's a, a, a researcher at Dalhousie University in Canada, and he's an advisor to Tesla. And he's a co-inventor of NMC, but his most recent famous invention is the million mile battery. He wrote a paper with a bunch of co-authors, and it was describing a, a, a way to, um, to make a battery and to operate the battery so that it would last 1 million miles. He did that in 2019. It caught the imagination of a lot of people because, you know, million miles, that, that, that's crazy. Because if you think about it, Thomas, we drive 13,000 miles on average a year. That's a 76-year battery. Why do we need a single battery for 76 years, we're not going to keep the, the car for 76 years. A anyway, that brings up a lot of issues. Last week, he he upped his game and he revealed the 36 million mile battery. And when and when we're talking 100 years, remember, that's that's not just math of dividing, you know, the number of miles by per year by the, the total number of miles. Batteries have calendar life, how long they can simply last before they die. And, and they die a lot sooner than the, than the hypothetical distance. Uh, but he is saying that the calendar life of this battery is 100 years. And, and a couple of the implications of that, right? No one is going to drive a car for 100 years, but what they might do, use it for 10 years or 15 years. You could take the battery out. You can put it on the grid for a few decades. It still has 90% capacity, or you can recycle it. Don also brings up the issue of vehicle to grid, right? This, this technology where, you know, you drive your car to work and then your car is attached to the grid, right? The, there's a plug there that attaches you to the grid and the, 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 the local utility takes some or all of the electricity from your battery when they need it and then and then you know gives you back you know how much you want you know no one is going to hook up their battery to a vehicle to grid if the battery is only going to last 10 years because your battery will completely degrade in 2 or 3 years your their, your your car will be useless but if it's a 100 year battery you won't care at all and the utility is paying you for this. And I mean, these are really fascinating things. And I mean, like you said, this challenges our, our traditional understandings of how some of these markets work. And it has 
massive implications when it comes to the raw materials and those demand projections, as you say, in the forecast for these certain things, because that will completely change the ball game of how some of these things are done. But thank you, Steve, for that. So this wraps up part one of my conversation with Steve. Join us next time as we discuss contemporary political events impacting the EV sector, what core principles and key issues students should be aware of when studying these issues, and why mineral supply chains are critical to the electric transition.